Welcome to Healthy Births, Happy Babies, where we share tips, tools, and stories grounded in natural childbirth and parenting principles, so that instead of feeling overwhelmed and confused during this exciting time in your life, you feel safe, supported, and empowered in your childbirth and parenting journey. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jay Warren. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Healthy Births, Happy Babies. I'm Dr. Jay Warren. I'm the prenatal and pediatric chiropractor here at the Capuana Center. And today's guest is Dr. Allison Hazelbaker, and we're going to be talking about tongue tie and lip tie. This is a very important piece of information that all parents should know about. I, in my own practice, see a lot of parents struggling with this issue. Uh, If their child's coming in and having a lot of breastfeeding issues, whether it's the latch or other types of problems, uh, either lactation consultants or pediatricians are recommending pretty quickly a tongue tie or a lip tie revision or both. And it's an important decision to make, and it's an important issue to have all of the information about before doing this kind of procedure. And that's why I'm bringing Dr. Hazelbaker onto the podcast. She is the designer of the only research-based tongue-tie screening process in infants under six months. And so she's going to help us sort through all of the information and misinformation, the facts and the myths around tongue-tie and lip-tie so that you are better informed and you can make a better decision uh, for you and your family and for your baby. But before I switch over to our conversation, uh, let me, as always, take a moment to bring you a word from our sponsor, the Cap Wellness Center. Hi, it's Dr. J, and one of the things I love about working at the Capuana Center is being able to play a role in bringing a baby into the world that much more safely, much more naturally, and much more healthy. You know, it's something that is an amazing gift to give a child uh, to have them start off their life healthy without the stress and the trauma that can all too often be a part of the birth experience. So I consider it an honor to work with pregnant women to help them with that time during their pregnancy. And it is a privilege to be able to work with infants and help correct any distortions that might have happened through the birth process and allow them to start off their life healthy in alignment and in balance so that a health challenge doesn't hold them back from being all that they can be in this world. And now let me introduce our guest, Dr. Allison Hazelbaker. Dr. Hazelbaker has been a therapist for 30 years. She specializes in cross-disciplinary treatment, and to that end has been taking training in several modalities to best assist her clients. She's a certified craniosacral therapist, a lymph drainage therapy practitioner, a tummy time trainer, a holler method practitioner, and an international board-certified lactation consultant. She's recognized as an expert on infant sucking issues caused by various structural problems like torticollis, plagiocephaly, brachycephaly, and tissue shock trauma. She earned her master's degree in human development specializing in human lactation and her doctoral degree in psychology. Her original research on tongue-tie done in 1993 has changed clinical practice both in the United States and abroad. She authored the assessment tool for lingual frenulum function, or ATLFF, or more commonly known as ATLF, during her master's degree program, and she recently revised her master's thesis on tongue-tie into a comprehensive book on the condition, Tongue-Tie, Metamorphosis, Impact, Assessment, and Treatment. 
The ATLIF remains the only research tongue-tie screening process in infants under six months. And that's why I'm so excited to bring to you Dr. Allison Hazelbaker. All right, Dr. Hazelbaker, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dr. Warren. I really appreciate it. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have you as a guest because I get a lot of questions, both in my office as well as from listeners of the podcast, around what we're going to be talking about today, and that's tongue tie and lip tie. And I know that in my career, I've uh, been a chiropractor for 16 years, that I've seen this procedure really balloon and escalate in the last few years only. And so there's a lot of parents that are um, kind of thrown into um, making a decision around this when their newborn comes around. And I want to have them have more information about it so they can make a more informed choice. And doing my research, um, finding you has been fantastic because I've heard you on other podcasts. I've read your materials and I know you're the right person to help our listeners navigate this. I want to thank you in advance for taking the time to be with us. Well, thank you for having me. I I look forward to our discussion because this is a a keen area of interest for me. Yes. And so uh, I read your bio and introduced you there. But before we jump into um, our topic, expand a little bit on that for us. Give us some more context about how you got interested in the work that you're doing now, but specifically um, related to tongue and lip tie. Well, um, gosh, it's um, mostly because I was tongue-tied myself, Mm. and I was born at the cusp of uh, routine examination, screening for tongue-tie in infancy. Newborns were routinely screened up until the mid to late 1950s, and I was born in 1957, and at that time, they had stopped at the hospital where I was born doing routine screening, and so I uh, did not get revised when I was a, a, a newborn. Um, And that led to a whole host of uh, developmental issues uh, down the road. But I didn't even know I was tongue-tied until I was uh, 36. So um, after exploring it, I was in my master's degree program at the time. And I decided after having my fourth baby, who was also tongue-tied, that uh, it would be a good idea for me to fill in some of the gaps in our understanding about this relatively common congenital anomaly. So I did my master's degree thesis research on uh, tongue-tie and developed the only screening tool that is evidence-based, the assessment tool for lingual frenulum function for the appropriate uh, differential diagnosis of tongue tie versus other kinds of causes of sucking issues in in babies. Um, so that's really what launched me into the whole process. And um, I can't say that I've spent the lion's share of my career on this. Really, my specialty is working with uh, infant sucking problems of all kinds, which includes the subset of tongue tie related issues. Um, uh, but it is a keen interest simply because of my family um, uh, history of uh, having tongue tie. And so you yourself found out at 36. How did you? How did you find out then? 
Well, I was in a course on infant sucking issues, treating infant sucking issues, and my uh, instructor had everybody go around the room and do a series of tongue movements, and I was the one person in the room who couldn't do them. Hmm. And so uh, she was a speech-language pathologist, and she took a look and had me do some extra stuff, and she says, well, you're it. You're the one who is tongue-tied in this room. And I went, huh, what? What is that? Really? And uh, so that was started off my personal adventure in uh, working through the various issues once I had my uh, phrenotomy and uh, had a whole course of therapy after that in order to rectify some of the issues that I was having. Okay. And you said that your fourth child was also tied. Were all of your children or just a fourth? No, just number four and number five. Number four had a severe tie and number five had a milder tie. Mm -hmm. uh, incidentally, those two uh, children were my boys. I have three girls and then two boys, and it was only my boys who were tongue-tied. My girls were not. Hmm. Okay. So I think I think we have a good thing to do right now is go over some definitions just to orient our listeners um, about tongue tie versus lip tie, upper, lower. Um, so could you could you explain those different terms before we jump in? You bet. Okay, so tongue tie is a congenital anomaly that uh, uh, causes a prominent short or tight lingual frenum. The frenum is a, uh, a tendinous connective tissue stabilizer for the tongue, uh, and it connects the tongue to the floor of the mouth. And that tissue fails to recede completely during the embryological period. So somewhere around six weeks, um, the uh, carving out of the underside of the tongue doesn't completely happen, and that results in this uh, shorter, tighter, more prominent lingual frenum that then uh, interferes with optimal tongue motion. That's tongue tie. Um, the technical term for that is partial ankyloglossia. So ankyloglossia uh, literally means bent or crooked tongue. It's Greek. Um, lip tie, however, doesn't have a definition, and this is part of our problem. There are lots of assertions about lip tie, lip tie, lip tie, and uh, uh, the criteria that is currently being used to quote-unquote diagnose a lip tie are based on what it looks like. But we have other research that seemed to be completely ignored when certain people were advocating that the lip tie was a real thing, um, uh, where they failed to look at the, the totality of the literature to find out what does a normal labial frenum look like on a newborn. And uh, so we're sitting in a place where we know that there potentially could be a functional problem with any of the frena of the body. And frena just means, uh, you know, connect a, a connective tissue. Um, uh, so we know that there potentially could be a problem, but right now there are lots of assertions claiming that upwards of 20 to 50% of newborns have a lip tie that interferes with infant feeding. So we're, we're really kind of in a place of not really knowing what this thing called lip tie is. Hmm. So We've there's got no common agreement as to what's dysfunctional and what's within the normal limits. 
Correct. And so what we would say officially is that there are no diagnostic criteria that help us to do a, perform an assessment to make a determination if uh, the one of the labial frena is creating a problem with infant feeding. Uh, that's just an unknown at this point in time. What are the typical um, problems that a child or mom would be having that then the whole issue of tongue tie or lip tie would be brought up to to be addressed? Well, let's separate out the two, okay, because okay. there's also a common belief that these two things come together. And the reality is, is that the uh, upper lip and the tongue develop at different times in the uh, uh, developmental period in utero. So tongue tie occurs during the embryological period. Uh, any kind of malformations of the lip or palate occurs in fetal life, okay? So these are very separate events that occur under separate influences by different processes. Okay. okay, so I like to deal with them separately because they, the, the two of them really are only connected um, by virtue of them occurring in the midline of the body, so right in the center of the, uh, of the body. Um, so uh, tongue tie um, creates some functional problems with the tongue in terms of being able to move the tongue around the mouth in such a way for uh, the baby to be able to remove milk, whether it be from the breast or from a bottle. It really, the, the, the functional problems are the same regardless of how the infant is fed. Um, so specifically, those deficits in movement may occur with the lift of the tongue, with the extrusion of the tongue past the lower gum line, with uh, the movement of the tongue from um, one side of the mouth to the other, something that we call lateralization, uh, with uh, peristalsis of the tongue. That's the wave-like motion that occurs uh, uh, nearly from the tip of the tongue all the way back to move the milk to the back of the throat to, and, and setting up a swallow correctly. Um, we may see some problems with thinning out of the tongue in order for it to create a uh, a cup and a seal against the breast or the bottle teat. Um, uh, so that's a gross motor thing. And so um, uh, we might see those kinds of problems emerging. Now, the problem, Dr. Warren, is that babies with other types of influences can have those same kinds of deficits. Okay. So it's, it's hard to know unless you're using a, an appropriate screening process, it's hard to know if these deficits are from congenital tongue tie or if they're because of some other issue that you and I know a lot about um, because we're structural therapists, things like torticollis, which is where the uh, head tilts to one side as a result of some sort of restriction in a muscle or in uh, other soft tissue. Or because, uh, because the baby's head has molded in an unusual way, uh, uh, creating some problems with the alignment of the cranium on top of the, the spine. Um, so uh, we can see sucking problems occur from a lot of different causes. Tongue tie is only one of those causes. And how is the, the tongue tie then assessed to be able to differentially diagnose it between these structural components as well as this congenital component? 
Well, we have to look at the totality of the individual. So we look at the whole person. We look for asymmetries in the face, the eyes, the head shape. We look for range of motion of the head on top of the neck. And then we perform a screening process looking at the tongue function per se. Uh, the uh, uh, evidence-based, and that means something very specific. That means it has to have jumped through a bunch of scientific hoops to actually measure what it's supposed to measure. The assessment tool for lingual frenulum function is currently the only evidence-based screening tool for infants under six months of age. That tool looks at seven different functional parameters of the tongue and five different appearance parameters of the lingual frenulum per se. Okay, so specifically looking at what does what does that frenulum look like? Is it very prominent? In other words, does it extend out towards the tip of the tongue? Does it look very thick? Uh, how long is it? How stretchy is it? Uh, where is it attached to the tongue underside and to the lower gum line? Because that makes a difference in terms of uh, allowing for uh, optimal tongue movement. So this screening tool is designed to make that differential diagnosis. You score the baby on this tool. You give certain points for um, uh, uh, for optimal function, and then you take away points when there are deficits. And depending on the score, will determine if that baby is tongue-tied or if they have a different kind of a sucking problem. That's one of the best ways uh, to make a differential diagnosis. Now, with this evidence-based assessment tool, it, can you speak to how prevalent this assessment's being used versus other assessments? Uh, well, it depends on which profession uh, okay. that you're talking about. You know, dentists have a tendency to like their classification schema that other dentists come up with because they identify with the language. And uh, then uh, lactation consultants have a tendency to identify with those tools that are created by people in their own field. Uh, the assessment tool is uh, was designed uh, by lactation consultant, me, um, and, uh, and so lactation consultants consultants around the world have a tendency to gravitate towards using this tool. But it now has gained a tremendous amount of traction so that we see it moving over into medicine, into uh, uh, a hospital-based use. So I have a lot of hospitals that have put it into their electronic charting. Uh, and so that's their standard. Uh, it has become the standard in uh, other countries. It's the standard in the UK. It's the standard in New Zealand. It's becoming the standard in Australia. It's oftentimes the standard used for research. Um, uh, so here in the United States, there are pockets of the country where it is the standard and other pockets where people have never heard of it. So um, where I'm doing trainings as fast as I can to get people up to the standard. And parents should know that this is one of the questions that they can ask their healthcare provider. What tool are you using to uh, diagnose or make a differential diagnosis on my child. If that person does not say the ATLIF or the assessment tool for lingual frenulum function, then they are not using an evidence-based process. Okay. And this, because um, I've heard worst case scenario, I've heard that the, the tongue tie was basically the dentist just put their finger in their mouth and were like, oh yeah, that's tight and we need to clip it. So obviously, I mean, that's a worst case scenario that uh, having 
seven functional um, criteria as well as five appearance are going to be much more accurate and then warranting whether or not this surgical procedure needs to be done on a tiny little infant. Uh, yeah, it distresses me when I hear about the worst case scenario being employed because it isn't thorough. And uh, and one cannot tell, one cannot make a differential diagnosis just by having a baby suck on their finger or just by swiping your finger uh, along the underside of the tongue and uh, coming against a little bump. Uh, you know, this is not this is not thorough assessment. Mm. So, um, yeah. So parents, you, you should demand more. Mm. <laughs> And you already mentioned like the breastfeeding issues, like with the, both the sucking and the swallowing um, being impeded if a tongue tie is present. What other problems down the line could a an, an unrevised tongue tie, if it's truly present, pre- um, present for the child? What a great question. You know, we oftentimes think that this is only an infant feeding issue, and it isn't. It's about overall development um, of the person. And uh, so we might see uh, speech delay. We might see speech articulation issues emerge where the individual is unable to pronounce certain um, consonants um, uh, and have difficulty with uh, speech pacing or cadence. Uh, We might see uh, uh, deficits in the relationship between the upper and the lower teeth, what we call malocclusion. We might see a tongue thrust emerge, mouth breathing. We might see alterations in mid-face development leading to a um, suboptimally developed airway, which then can lead to sleep-disordered breathing. Uh, we can see postural problems that affect overall breathing. Um, oh gosh, uh, what have I forgotten here? Um, there, there are just multiple issues that that might develop over time if the baby is not revised when the tongue tie is identified. Babies are not going to grow out of this condition. It is a congenital anomaly. The lingual frenum does not stretch over time. Function does not improve over time with therapy. This is one of those things where surgery is the correction. So parents, it's important for you to know that if your baby has a true tie, it is important to get it taken care of as soon as you find out. And the procedure is simple, and there are very, very few uh, side effects of the procedure. The most scary thing that might happen is a little bit of bleeding that is uh, stops with pressure on, on the wound. So it is a very benign procedure, and the benefits are amazing. Do you have a recommendation if you're having that procedure done of laser versus scissors? There's no data. Uh, We don't know if laser is better than scissors. We have a lot of research and evidence that shows that scissors in the hands of a properly trained person um, is this relatively benign procedure. And we know that it's effective. So that's what all our research shows. Now, laser is very popular these days. and um, But don't be misled into thinking that laser is better than scissors. I have seen effective laser procedures and I have seen many botched laser procedures. That all has to do with training. 
There's no requirement here in the United States for people who wield lasers to get that training. So we're dependent upon the ethics of that individual practitioner to go and get uh, trained optimally for the use of their particular instrument. Um, so at this point in time, I couldn't tell you that laser is better than scissors or that scissors are, are better than lasers. But I can tell you for certain that scissors in, in trained hands does a very adequate and appropriate job. Okay. okay? And what about, can you tell a parent what's involved once they've had this procedure done? There's, there's important follow-up as far as exercises and the like to maintain that. Can you describe what that's involved? Well, actually, um, there's no evidence to support the use of these uh, uh, pretty extensive exercise regimens that many practitioners put the parents through. Uh, in fact, we have uh, a lot of anecdotal report that shows that the parents are non-compliant because their babies scream and cry right. uh, during these exercises, and so the parents just sort of abandon it, and their and their babies do fine. Hmm. So. Um, uh, basically, you know, there's a whole science behind wound healing, and I don't want to get into that because we don't have enough time for it. But uh, uh, suffice it to say that that you want the tongue to continue to move, and when you do infant feeding, that tongue is moving in the appropriate. Uh, directions and with the ap appropriate force. That seems to be adequate for uh, making sure that there's not excessive scar tissue formation at the wound site. But with that said, you know, right now the tendency is for the surgeon to create a diamond-shaped wound at the base of the tongue. Um, there's no evidence to support that that is better than stopping right in front of that and not creating the diamond-shaped wound. The smaller the wound, the faster the healing and the less likely there's going to be scar tissue formation. So um, that's something to discuss with the particular practitioner that a parent is planning to take their infant to should their baby truly be tongue-tied. Okay. One of the things I'd like to ask, too, is, I mean, you talked about all the different problems that a child could have later on down the line developmentally if a tongue-tie is not properly revised, but what what risks does a child have if they have a revision that isn't necessary, that it was something else going on or possible complications from that type of procedure, if any? Well, uh, excessive scar tissue formation certainly is something that that um, is emerging. People are talking about, oh, gosh, I saw this baby who really had a torticollis uh, uh, and didn't need to be revised, was misdiagnosed, was revised with a laser, and now the baby has worse problems underneath her tongue than they did before. I've heard that over and over and over again. However, that that doesn't mean that that is an official thing you know we have to, to we have to confirm these things with with well done scientific study um, uh, but we really basically have no um, no knowledge about what the long-term fallout is of revising a baby there are people who claim that uh, it's harmless but that really doesn't make any sense to me when I think about anatomy and physiology. The lingual frenum is tendinous. It's designed to stabilize the tongue. If we remove that stabilization when we shouldn't be, then the body is going to say, uh-oh, we need to restabilize the area. And I think that's why we might be seeing this excessive scar tissue formation under those circumstances because the body is saying, restabilize, restabilize, restabilize. And so it creates 
uh, you know, new collagen in that area and uh, regenerates um, uh, the attachment. So, um, uh, so I'm concerned about that, that, that we're just, uh, there are some people who just kind of just shrug their shoulders and go, ah, whatever. I'd rather revise a baby who doesn't need it than have a baby go without revision. I think that's a little bit of a of too much of a of a laissez-faire flip attitude to have. Each baby needs to have the care and love and concern that we all can provide. Right, and the same was said about the appendix and the tonsils and and other times of medicine that were like, oh, we might as well just take them out right now because they don't serve a purpose. We don't want to let the body be destabilized, and it, it seems like if if the body needs that type of stabilization, then that scar tissue is the body's effort to normalize what was disrupted rather than maybe a child that needed that revision, the scar tissue wouldn't form. Although I don't know if any kind of research would be able to show that. Um, well, I'm sure that if we really track this, that we'd probably get a handle on it. And I think that that's a perfect example, Dr. Warren, of, of yeah, tonsils, we used to think they served no purpose. And now we know how important they are and the appendix as well. I mean, they're important parts of the body that serve important functions. And the lingual frenum serves an important function. Well, Dr. Hazelbaker, how can our listeners uh, learn more about this? I mean, your website has such great resources. Where can they get in touch with you? They can reach me at www.allison, with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N, Hazelbaker, H-A-Z-E-L-B-A-K-E-R, Dot com. Uh, I have a blog on there, and uh, pretty soon I'll have a link to uh, a website talking about the facts and the myths relative to tongue tie and this thing that everybody's calling lip tie. Um, uh, uh, so I welcome anybody to contact me, and uh, through that portal, you can ask any question you want. Great. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes as well as on the webpage I'll create for um, you to listen to. Um, so listeners, you don't have to write that down. You'll be able to link right to it. Um, Dr. Hazelbaker, in our last minutes here, what's the major take home you'd like our listener to leave this conversation with? Either something we've talked about that you want to reiterate or something that hasn't come up yet that you'd like to share? Well, I think I have two thoughts. Number one, don't be afraid. Um, you know, the, I think that social media has really done a disservice in on the subject of tongue tie and lip tie by making parents fearful that their baby is uh, 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 one of the 50% of the babies who has this condition. Less than 5% of babies actually have this condition. And uh, so you should go off of the uh, a basis of having your baby properly screened by a well-trained practitioner uh, rather than just assuming that if you're having a breastfeeding problem, it must be tongue tie or it must be lip tight. That just isn't the case. There are a lot of different reasons for breastfeeding problems. So you want to see somebody who is skilled about this. Uh, and if your baby is truly tongue tied, then you want to get appropriate and timely care so that you can not only resolve the issues that are currently happening, but the issues that potentially could happen down the road. Thank you for that. And what about for the little baby listening? Is there any kind of pearl of wisdom you'd like to whisper into their little ear, whether they're in utero still and listening through mama, or maybe they're on mama's chest right now as mom's listening to this uh, episode? 
Um, I would like to whisper to the baby that mommy and daddy or mommy and mommy or daddy and daddy love you, love you, love you, and that they're here to make the best decisions on your behalf. Well, Dr. Hazelbaker, thank you so much for sharing all of this information. I know this will be, it's been helpful to me to learn so much more about it so I can help other people, but also this episode will be able to um, really help parents that are trying to make a tough decision. And now they're going to be able to make a more informed decision and be able to ask better questions. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about this episode and other natural childbirth and parenting topics, please visit us at capwellnesscenter.com or message us on our Facebook page with any questions you might have. We here at the Cap Wellness Center look forward to helping you and your family be as happy and healthy as you can be.